<laughs> and now we can start. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. If you build it, they will come. Joel, you seen that movie? You seen that movie, Joe? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. In our 670 of the score studios, Jordan Malley. Shout out to Jordan Malley. Did Matt Peck get a signed copy of that book? No, Matt Peck, he didn't. No, no. I'll talk to D. Rose. Yeah, you got, you're going to make, make Matt, it happen. And Matt, you will be getting your book soon. <laughs> Kick back and get ready for the best hour of your day are players buying in jim i yes fair enough and so all i was saying on this podcast the locked on bulls podcast locked on bulls five days a week locked on bulls starts now you can just see the vibe here are your hosts jordan malley and matt peck what's up and welcome into locked on bulls part of the locked on podcast network your team every day I'm Matt Peck, also host of Bulls Outsiders on NBC Sports Chicago, following all 82 Bulls games this season. You can follow me on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. You can follow my co-host Jordan Malley at Jordan C. Malley, and you can find us on Twitter at LockedOnBulls. You can also shoot us an email, LockedOnBulls at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash LockedOnShyBulls. And of course, you can always shoot us texts and voicemails at 331-979-1369. That Bulls mailbag hotline always there for you. We will get to some mailbag content on tomorrow's show as we do every Wednesday. Hope everybody has had a good start to their week. Uh, Bulls starting their week with a loss to the Celtics in Boston on Monday night. I will talk about that game, give some of my thoughts as to uh, what went wrong and uh, some of Boylan's thoughts on that game, uh, in addition to Lowry Markkinen and some of his post-game reactions uh, after another underwhelming performance from him. And then on the back end of today's show, I wanted to talk about uh, the latest piece from our NBC Sports Chicago Bulls insider Casey Johnson that he just uh, published at NBCSportsChicago.com this morning, Tuesday morning, with his assessment of the Bulls at the midway point of this 2019-20 regular season. His midseason report, uh, very enlightening, uh, very on the nose. Um, and we have to talk about, in particular, what he has in this report regarding the future of this team's management, assuming things do not turn themselves around in the back end of this season because we've been hearing a lot of different rumors. We've heard conflicting reports, and uh, it certainly is something that needs to be addressed. I know it's on the minds of most Bulls fans out there in the midst of another disappointing and underwhelming season. A lot of Bulls fans clamoring for change. Will we finally get some at the end of this season? So uh, before that, uh, the Bulls lose to the Celtics. 113-101 is the final uh, and this was a night where Jim Boylan and his obsession with the Bulls winning first quarters certainly went in the opposite direction. And that's the first thing he talked about in his postgame comments. The Bulls managing just 14 points in the first quarter of this game. Their offense did slowly start to come around and figure some things out. Zach Levine had himself an efficient night once again, 30 points that's uh, three of his past five games where he's dropped 30 or more. Nine of 18 from the field, three of six from downtown, and another perfect night at the charity stripe. Nine of nine on his free throws. They got a solid game from Thad Young off the bench. 17 points, clearly one of his best games of the season. He was efficient as well. Eight of 14 from the field. 
um, and hit just one of his four three-point attempts. But his looks in the third quarter in particular were all coming inside. They played a little bit of pick and roll with that as the roll man. They also capitalized on the Celtics' small lineup and the fact that they weren't doubling Thad down low. So the Bulls did a decent job of feeding him on the block and letting him go to work and play old man basketball. Something that Thad Young talked about with Casey Johnson during shoot-around earlier on Monday, the fact that it wasn't necessarily described to Thad what the Bulls were going to try to do offensively when they were pitching him in free agency. And the fact that Jim Boylan installed this multi-ball handler system in September and October after Thad had come on board, and Thad was certainly asked to make an adjustment. The dude's been in the NBA for more than a decade and has always played the same kind of way. He's always been effective on the offensive end of the court in the same kind of way. And the Bulls and Jim Boylan asked him to change that. He's taking the second most three-point attempts per game of any season in his career. He's spending plenty of time out on the perimeter, and that's not the strong suit. This season started off with Thad Young being surprisingly efficient from three-point range, but that tapered off fairly quickly. And he has since seemed lost and not useful when he's getting his minutes off the bench. And we, of course, also know that he has complained about his allotment of minutes, not what he was pitched when the Bulls recruited him in free agency. So clearly Thad, as a respected veteran, has been frustrated with his role on this team that's just losing night in and night out. Sure, he was aware that the Bulls had young pieces in their front court, namely Lowry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., that would have more emphasis on developing their games and putting their faces in the starting lineup as opposed to Thad's. And he was okay with that. But I think based on what we've heard, he also felt misled in that Jim Boylan and the Bulls were talking to Thad about, hey, you might not start, but we really want to use you a lot this season, and you're probably going to play close to 30 minutes a night, even if you're not starting, because our starting front court duo is Markinen and Wendell, and we want to develop that. Well, as we all know, halfway through the season, Thad Young has not been playing 30 minutes a night. Nowhere close. And of course, that has frustrated him. It's probably also prevented him from getting into any kind of groove. We've seen him have pretty bad inefficient nights when he's out there for his smaller allotment of minutes and again it goes back to what I was just talking about with Thad being uh, a square peg in a round hole for what Jim Boylan is insistent upon trying to accomplish and this system you know with his midseason comments that uh, that he gave ye- uh, yesterday that just do not fit Thad's skill set so we actually saw the Bulls use Thad in an appropriate way And he, in his very efficient third quarter, scoring lots of points, helped the Bulls get back into it and make, you know, make a stride to correct that awful first quarter that they had. Zach, like he does most nights, kept them afloat. Thad Young had himself a nice third quarter. The Bulls get back into it. But you never really felt like the Bulls were going to threaten the Celtics. They, I think, cut the lead to like seven at one point in the fourth quarter. But I think the Celtics, with their you know commanding halftime lead, were just kind of toying with the Bulls, and they they kind of thought the Bulls would you know just kind of roll over and die in the third quarter. Which guess what? The Bulls do that all the time. So no fault to the Celtics for making that assumption. But to Thad Young's credit, 
he did what Thad Young usually does before he arrived here in Chicago, got some efficient looks near the basket, and the Bulls scraped back into it for a while. But as we have seen time and again, Bulls fourth quarter, it's not enough. The half-court offense stalls. The half-court offense stagnates. Zach Levine is forced to play a fair amount of hero ball, and Levine did knock down some big shots in the fourth quarter, a couple of deep threes, you know, uh, aggressive attacking the basket. But as usual, they fall short. Same thing. Same thing, different night. And here, to me, was the big issue with what we saw the Bulls doing on Monday night. We've heard from Jim Boylan that despite the absence of Wendell Carter Jr., who this team has lost for the next four to six weeks or more with his ankle sprain, that he is insisting upon this team keeping their same defensive system. Knowing full well that Daniel Gafford and or Luke Cornett are not capable of replacing Wendell Carter Jr. and what he does on the defensive end, and certainly, which we learned quickly the first night that they tried it and started Thad Young at the four and slid Markinen to center, that Markinen is also incapable of doing what Wendell does defensively. No surprise there. But the Celtics for most of the first half, and then they kind of went away from this in the third quarter, maybe because they were just being lazy and and complacent and allowed the Bulls to creep back in. But for the first half, the Bulls were picked apart by a Celtics team that is well-coached by Brad Stevens and knows, like any competent team, how to take advantage of this aggressive blitzing defense that Jim Boylan is insistent upon the Bulls playing. Teams that do not have competent point guards, teams that do not have smart players can be vulnerable to this aggressive style of defense, and it does on several nights uh, provide the Bulls with a lot of takeaways. Unfortunately, they're not very good at converting points off of said takeaways because their transition offense and fast break offense is laughably bad, but a team as competent and as young as they are, the Celtics are a smart team. And as young as he is, Brad Stevens is a smart coach. And guess what? Without Wendell Carter Jr., the Bulls and their defense and their bigs, Gafford and Cornette, were exposed. You had Luke Cornette out on the perimeter trying to guard Jason Tatum, who's just crossing him up and knocking down an easy three. You had, once again, Luke Cornette trying to play uh, a blitzing pick and roll defense where he he has negative lateral quickness and the Bulls are exposed by a simple operation of a pick and roll. You hit the roll man and the roll man's either going to draw a foul on the on the player coming over to help, get an easy look in the paint, or the roll man dumps it off to one of the people coming in from the corners on a baseline cut for a wide-open layup or a wide-open dunk. We saw the Celtics execute some variety of that play over and over and over and over again. And and, and Jim Boylan's sitting there on the Bulls' sideline saying, yep, still going to play this style of defense. And again, so much of this is about Wendell. And yeah, like he's got 17 double-doubles this year, and they're kind of underwhelming. It's like 12 and 10, 13 and 10. 
but so much of what he does on the defensive end doesn't necessarily show up in a box score. His basketball IQ on that end, he's already mastered you know, the three-second tag uh, to prevent illegal defenses. He communicates. He is a leader. He's a vocal leader on the defensive end, and he covers so much ground. Yeah, he gets into foul trouble, but he, just like Daniel Gafford last night, is the victim of a poor defensive system. That has so much to do with the foul trouble, which is why it was all the more maddening to see Jim Boylan's, you know, comments in his midseason, you know, assessment, his midseason grades, his report card of the team and himself when he was talking about his team needing to be better at playing good defense without fouling, playing good defense, but being better on the defensive boards. Because the defense that he's insisting that they play is the reason that his players get in foul trouble. Asking Chris Dunn to come up with three steals a game is why Chris Dunn commits unnecessary fouls. Playing this aggressive blitzing scheme on pick and rolls when the roll man has a free reign to the basket and you have to ask somebody else who's playing on that baseline to come over and help last second leads to lots of fouls. And it's why Daniel Gafford was on the bench not halfway through the first quarter with two fouls and came back in and quickly picked up a third foul. So, you know, we talked about maybe Wendell is a player who is kind of, maybe he doesn't get uh, any respect from the refs. Maybe he has his own issues uh, with with, uh, fouls that he commits. More so than I think, you know, like I think Chris Dunn is guilty of some dumb fouls. Yes, he he's he's a very solid on-ball defender and he creates a lot of steals, but he also commits dumb fouls. When it comes to the bigs though and their foul trouble, it is a result of Jim Boylan's defensive scheme. And seeing him refuse to budge on that and refuse to adjust because of what they're doing is is asinine and so incredibly frustrating. You can't play that same defense without Wendell Carter Jr. You and the most mind-boggling part of this. And yeah, Wendell goes down, next man up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you are a head coach of an NBA team. You have to be willing and able to adjust based on the personnel at your at your disposal. We learned at the beginning of the season when Luke Cornett was in this rotation for a handful of games that Luke Cornett, for all of his strengths as a rim protector and shot blocker when he's allowed to play in drop coverage or in man defenses, is not capable of playing this style of defense. Easy buckets all night for the opponent if they simply execute and make the proper reads and make the proper passes. Jim Boylan learned this, and because of it, took Cornette out of the rotation. So if you're strapped for minutes in the front court because Wendell's out, and you have to play Luke Cornette 22 minutes, as Jim Boylan saw necessary last night, maybe for those 22 minutes, change up your defense, man. How hard is it to request a a, a simple adjustment try something else you tried playing Cornette in that style of defense for the first month of the season 
And we all figured out that you can't do it. Fast forward two and a half months, you get an injury, you have to put Cornette back in the rotation, and you're failing the same way. And that, to me, is the part about this that's so incredibly frustrating. Um, I I just... And, and like, he, the, the perfect way to sum it up is something that... Uh, that Casey Johnson said in the uh, the most ep- recent episode of the Bulls Talk podcast that he did with pre and post host Jason Goff and uh, and Tony Gill, who has recently come on board NBC Sports Chicago uh, as a podcast producer and also part of the team covering the Bulls, a uh, friend of the podcast. This simple quote from Casey sums it up to me regarding Jim Boylan. He's establishing a style of play regardless of personnel. And that is what's so frustrating about some of the words we heard from Jim Boylan yesterday when he was giving his midseason assessment about how he's really happy that they've established a style of play on both ends and Bulls fans are sitting here saying, what the fuck are you talking about? Your offense is not a style that is working in any way. You're the 28th ranked offensive team in the league and your defense for all of the you know gimmicky numbers that appear to have the Bulls being like a top third defensive team, you're still losing three or four times the number of times that you're winning, and your defense is exposed by even the simplest of adjustments and offensive execution. And Cornette in particular, who, by the way, had zero points and was a minus 24 in 22 minutes last night, which is impressively bad is the perfect example, one of many examples of Jim Poylan trying to, quote-unquote, establish a style of play regardless of the players that he has. And Thad Young, with a rare night of being useful, doing what Thad Young's done in the NBA for over a decade, is another example. Because... Thad Young was asked to do something when he came here that has never been his game. And the Bulls ignored the strengths of Thad Young's game. None of it makes any sense. It's like just beating your head into a brick wall over and over and over and expecting the brick wall to crumble before your cranium caves in. No sense whatsoever. And, you know, the the cherry on top of that frustrating night was Lowry Markkinen once again being a ghost. Nine points on four of nine from the field in 25 minutes. Boylan gave Thad Young, you know, a little bit more run and, you know, but it's not like he played Thad Young a bunch of minutes. Thad only got 24, but, you know, he played Cornette 22, played Kobe White 23, Archie 13, and you can't find more than 25 minutes for Lowry Markkinen. And again, I, I know that some people out there who listen to this show or, or watch Bulls Outsiders think that I'm a Lowry apologist, and in some senses that's true because I, I will admit that Lowry has looked soft a lot of this season. He's not been aggressive. He seems disengaged. 
and it's not the jump we expected and wanted to see from Lowry in his third season in the NBA. However, I think so much of Lowry's passive style and passive attitude and his demeanor of not demanding the ball on the court is a compounding problem with what Jim Boylan is insisting that they run offensively. Another example of establishing a style of play regardless of personnel. Jim Boylan is not developing Lowry Markkinen. He is hurting him. Lowry, and you can see it. You can listen to Lowry talk post-game. The dude is depressed. Disenga- not just disengaged, he's depressed. And, and this system has just left him in the lurch. Nine shots? Nine shots and 25 minutes from a kid who we are hoping was a foundational piece of this rebuild who showed such promise and he had to fight through some injuries in his first two seasons in the league and had a tough start to this season shaking off that shooting slump but he had started to shake off that shooting slump in the month of December was playing better scoring more getting more involved getting looks in transition knocking down his threes and Jim can't play the kid for 30 plus minutes a night How is that helping Lowry develop? How is that helping his confidence? How is this system that Jim is insisting they run, which has them as the 28th ranked offense in the NBA, helping marketing get better? It's not working, and Jim refuses to change it. It's hurting his team and hurting individual players in so many ways, and Jim refuses to change it. It's disgusting, it's criminal, and for any other team in the NBA, it would be a fireable offense. But we know that right now, more than anything, all Jim Boylan is for the remainder of this dud of a season is a shield for the front office. They are paired, they are paired, they are married together because firing Jim Boylan midseason after giving him a multi-year extension is a direct admission of guilt and failure from a front office and and one man in particular, John Paxson, who is just untouchable. Job security for life. Choke to former coach. If that doesn't get you fired, what will? It's ridiculous. And it's why... Even if the Bulls don't have some miraculous turnaround and end up winning 27 or 28 games this season, as they did in year one of this rebuild, I don't I don't know how Jim Boylan goes and John Paxson doesn't, which means I don't know how Jim Boylan goes. Which leads me to the last thing I wanted to talk about today. Because this is a very interesting, uh, a very interesting, you know, quandary that Bulls fans have been talking about for years, but certainly this season, as this season has come crashing to the ground, instead of being a significant stepping stone in this rebuild the way that we wanted it to be, 
and the way that at media day John Paxson and Jim Boylan both said we're looking to make that big jump this year we, you know we want to compete night in and night out we, we want to see this development from some of our core pieces and compete at a high level and if you do that we can we can compete for the playoffs John Paxson you know used his little word trickery and hedged his bet to say compete for the playoffs meaning well we'll try to make the playoffs but Jim Boylan <laughs> as confident as ever sitting there on media day with a fresh contract said in in no minced words the goal was to make the playoffs well you're 14 and 27 halfway through and even in a dog shit eastern conference after Orlando won last night in dramatic fashion and the Bulls lost in pathetic fashion, you're five and a half games out of the eighth seed. Five and a half games out of the eighth seed. And the schedule only gets more difficult. So that to me is a safe assumption. It is a safe assumption for those reasons to say Bulls ain't turning anything around. Jim Boylan smashing his head into a brick wall and refusing to change anything with this team that is now down not only Otto Porter Jr., but also Wendell Carter Jr., is not changing anything, is not turning anything around. So what changes at the end of the season? We've heard different rumors. Joe Cowley of the Sun-Times said a few weeks ago that Gar Foreman in particular is on the hot seat if things don't turn around this season. Uh, David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 and also NBC Sports Chicago said on his ra- his morning radio show a f- few days ago, I believe last week, that he has heard from sources in the know that big like overhaul kind of changes are on their way for the Bulls front office this offseason. Casey Johnson in his latest piece, the same one that was uh, you know, assessing the Bulls at the midway point of the season, which you should definitely read if you haven't already, check it out at NBCSportsChicago.com, had this to say. Speculation exists that the Bulls will make offseason changes. According to sources, nothing has been definitively decided, but everything is on the table except one thing. Paxson is still held in high regard by Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf and will be counted on to figure prominently in basketball operations. The most likely scenario is the Bulls adding to the front office. This person would be from outside the organization with fresh eyes and insights. Gar Foreman, whose GM title is more ceremonial with each passing season, has largely moved almost exclusively to scouting, a skill for which he is valued. However, his days as the face of the franchise and power broker have faded. Boylan signed an extension last summer. He enjoys a strong relationship with ownership and management. His salary makes him among the league's lowest paid coaches, so it wouldn't preclude the Bulls from moving off uh, off of it uh, if the rest of the season leads them to that decision. So, nothing entirely surprising there. But, of course, the one part of that that rings alarm bells and, and, and makes you pull your hair out is the except one thing. Everything is on the table. If the Bulls just have a terrible failure of a season and they don't make the big stride that we all wanted and they're nowhere close to being a playoff team, everything's on the table except one thing. 
John Paxson. Job for life. Still held in a high regard by Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf. So riddle me this. Even in a scenario where they finally axe Gar just to appease a bloodthirsty, frustrated, and fed-up fan base that has stopped coming through the turnstiles at the United Center after decades of leaving, leading the league in home game attendance. You got to do something, so maybe you, you fire Gar. And, and, and even that's not a certainty. They might just demote him and take away his title of GM, which, as Casey points out, hasn't really been the case for all things GM for a while now. He's just scouting. Even if they say, thanks, Gar, but we'll be accepting your resignation now. And John stays. And not only stays, but will be counted on to figure prominently in basketball operations. They fire Gar or demote him and bring in a new GM, somebody outside the organization with fresh eyes and insight. If that person is still reporting to John Paxson, what the fuck changes? And what GM, knowing all of the incompetence and all of the terrible things that have gone on in this organization in the 17-year reign of John Paxson, including him getting into physical altercations with head coaches, including throwing coaches and players and everyone but himself under the bus while saying things like, I take accountability very seriously, bull fucking shit you do. What respectable GM from outside this organization whose insights and fresh eyes would be useful would want to accept a job where those are the terms? Come on in, help us fix this. Help us address what's wrong and build a new culture and help us with our scouting help us with our drafting process help us with free agent negotiations help us with trade trade deals if john paxson the stale head chef in the kitchen who hasn't come up with a solid recipe in like damn near a decade is still the head chef what sous chef would want to come in feeling like their ideas would be taken seriously I mean, I I don't see it. Between that and the negative PR that exists around this organization under the John Paxson regime, who are you bringing in? What young, fresh eyes that understand the modern NBA better than John Paxson's old eyes would want to come in and and, and take a job where they still know that this, this boss of theirs is still going to be respected more by the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, than you ever will because the dude hit a shot in 1993 and helped turn around the first failed rebuild when they removed Jerry Krause in 2003 and Paxson overhauled the roster and turned the Baby Bulls into a respectable playoff team that competed hard. Jerry gives John so much credit for that. So it's not just the, well, you know, he hit the shot in game six in 93, and for that he has a job for life. Jerry also very much values and appreciates what John did taking over for Krause to turn the organization around. And he also believes that under John Paxson's regime, they have scouted well, and they have drafted well. More hits than misses, yes. Too much credit? Absolutely. 
So I was talking with my outsiders guys about this this morning on our text thread. You know, after we had all read this piece from Casey and saw that horrible three-word phrase, except one thing, one thing being John Paxson's job security, and we're talking about it. And John, (laughs) clever boy that he is, posed this question to all of us. Would you take five rings instead of six if it meant no John Paxson? As a Bulls fan, and my answer immediately and unequivocally was yes. We all love the six rings in eight years. The, the neatly packaged double three-peat with an MJ baseball season and a half in there in the middle. Two three-peats in the span of eight years. Warriors haven't done it. None of LeBron's teams have done it. The Lakers didn't do it. The, the Kobe Lakers never did it. Pop and Duncan Spurs never did it. We hadn't seen anything like that since the Celtics. And not the Bird Celtics, because they never did that. Magic's Lakers never did that. Six in eight years is such a stamp of pride for Bulls fans who are, were around for part or all of that. It's the dynasty that shaped the global popularity of what the NBA is today. Knowing all of that, would you give up that title in 93 if it meant that John Paxson has not been running the Bulls for the last 17 years? And, uh, you know, this started an interesting thread and conversation on Twitter because I tweeted that John asked me that question and said that my answer was absolutely yes, I would take that trade. As much as I love the six rings in eight years, five rings is still a pretty dope uh, uh, dynasty. And I could remove 17 years of stress and anger and frustration of John Paxson failing this organization from my mind and my heart. So Nick Shepkowski of 670 The Score chimes in. Uh, Chicago sports historian Reed Jack chimes in. And we're talking about, well, okay, say Paxson doesn't make that three in game six. You go to game seven. You have Michael Jordan. Dude never lost a game seven. Uh, or, uh, you know, I'm sorry, in, in the title, in the window of the title years, dude never lost a game seven. You're, you're taking MJ and the odds of the Bulls winning game seven even on the road against Charles Barkley and the Suns. I'm, I'm taking MJ in a Game 7 110 times out of 100. But for the sake of this hypothetical, for the sake of this scenario of would you rather and would you give this up if it meant that, let's say for that sake, we're not talking about Pax misses the three in Game 6, but the Bulls can still hypothetically win Game 7. No. In this scenario, Paxson misses that shot. Bulls-Suns goes to Game 7. The Bulls lose Game 7. The Suns win that title. The Bulls don't three-peat the first time around. And maybe that changes a lot of things, including maybe MJ doesn't retire and go play baseball because he does, you know, he, instead of going out on top, he feels like he has to reclaim what he lost, which knowing MJ's competitive drive certainly would have been the case. So maybe the Bulls win the title in 94, and he doesn't go play baseball. But 
the Bulls don't win their third title. Everything else happens the same way. MJ leaves. The Bulls are competitive but don't win the title in 94 or 95. The Bulls bring Dennis Rodman on board and win titles in 96, 97, and 98. Dynasty breaks up. Would you trade that ring in 93 if it meant that John Paxson did not have this insane job security for life in the eyes of Jerry Reinsdorf? I would love to hear the takes and input and answers of all of you out there in Locked On Bulls Nation. 331-979-1369 or tweet at us at Locked On Bulls, Bulls underscore pack, Jordan C. Malley. Would you take that trade? My buddy Big Dave from Outsiders said, absolutely not. I'm not giving up a ring. I know it's been frustrating the PAX regime, but, and, and, you know, who knows what the Bulls would or would not win if we, you know, went back in time and redid these 17 years if John Paxson weren't in charge. Maybe the Bulls have another ring. Maybe they don't. But Big Dave said, I'm not sacrificing that ring and the double three-peat to just not have John Paxson here and not have Jerry Reinsdorf with this completely illogical just love and and respect for a dude who he refuses to fire based on job performance. And and I can understand and even appreciate that angle and that take. Titles are titles. And like I had said a moment ago, maybe the Bulls are not considered the greatest, one of the greatest teams of all time. MJ not considered the greatest of all time if he's not a perfect 6-0 in the finals, but 5-1. The Bulls, six rings in eight years, five in eight years is not as impressive, especially not as awesome as two neatly packaged three-peats with just a couple of seasons in between. So it's it's not just one ring you're giving up. It's part of the lore. It's part of the legend that is that team in the 90s that owned the 90s. So I get that. But to me, the answer is still, without a doubt... Pax misses that three in 93. You go to game seven, you lose game seven, and the Bulls, as of today, are five-time NBA champions instead of six. But we have somebody not named John Paxson running this team for the last near two decades. I take that trade eight days a week. I would love to hear what you have to think. 331-979-1369. Send us a voicemail or a text with your take on the matter. That is it for today. I'm out of here. Uh, we will be back on tomorrow's episode with some fresh mailbag content. Uh, send us some thoughts, and we'll get to some of your thoughts on that hypothetical. Trading the 93 ring for uh, 17 years without John Pax. In the meantime, have a great Tuesday. Bulls are off tonight. Back in action tomorrow, hosting the Washington Wizards. Might be a W. Until then, uh, hit us up on our various social media platforms and that text and voicemail line for Bulls mailbag content tomorrow. 331-979-1369. For my partner, Jordan Malley, Matt Peck, saying thanks, as always, for listening. Bulls Nation, appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace out. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 